welcome to episode 32 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in today's episode, we'll be um, asking books about the jobs we do. Do we want to read them? <laughs> That's a oh, come on, Simon. <laughs> oh, well, let's put power on. And in the second half, we'll be looking at two Imacure novels on Chesil Beach versus Atonement and picking our favourite. Um, but before we get onto any of that, Rachel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's a bit miserable in England at the moment with the weather. Um, and I was very upset that I didn't get any snow. Well, I did have snow in London, but it didn't stay on the ground. Did you get snow? We got like the tiniest dusting four past, oh. but yeah, nothing, nothing to write it's home about. It's just not fun, is it? Yeah, especially when we're into the north, sending all their photos of snowdrifts. I know. Well, even my, and my mum was like, well, actually my dad, because my mum can't use her camera on her phone. <laughs> my dad was sending me pictures of their garden, being like, hey, look how much snow we have. My you sister was camp. like, hey, yeah. And she, my sister was like, hey, the kids have got snow day. We're going sledging. I was like, great. I'm at work. Happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people get, or for days in Oxford, people are saying, oh, heavy snow tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like. I have to take my coat off. It's mild, if anything. <laughs> no, I know, it wasn't fun. It was nice when it was sort of blizzarding, but it is rather distracting when you're trying to teach a lesson. And obviously snow is way more interesting than anything I'm trying to say, um, which means that the children will run to the windows and press their faces against it. <laughs> like, also... You haven't seen snow before. Come on. One of my housemates is from New Zealand. Um, oh, that's exciting. She was very excited last time it snowed um, because apparently... It doesn't snow where she is. So she, she was waking people up being like, yeah, go, yeah okay, thanks, yeah. Rebecca. But no, a childlike joy was very touching. Yes. And, but, you know, it just makes me think of, of lovely books where snow is and it's always described as being so beautiful. And then if you live in a city, as we, as we both do to different extents, <laughs> within 10 minutes it's just brown slush and yeah. it's all dispiriting. And I, I have quite bad balance at the best of times. So trying to walk when it's icy... I'm just like clutching onto anything or anyone yeah. that it gets, that comes anywhere near me. <laughs> it's just not nice. I mean, the thing is, when you watch films, certainly romantic films set in London, it's always like, oh, isn't it beautiful? It's snowing, it's snowing. Everyone's out in the streets and smiling because it's snowing. It's like, number one, this never happens. Number two, <laughs> if that did happen, all of us would be slipping over. And you'd be spending half an hour in the morning trying to defrost your car. Exactly. Like Hollywood, you're yeah. not showing us the real lives behind the snow. Exactly. It's because they all live in LA and they don't understand. <laughs> Any of our Canadian listeners are just sort of pityingly looking yeah. at us now being like, guys, we deal with six foot of snow in midsummer. Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> My understanding of Canadian climate is sketchy, I'll admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, I just finished reading Dombey and Son. Oh, well done. Yeah, it did. I, I actually really do feel like I deserve that well done. Um, it was long. <laughs> it was long. Um, but I did not not enjoy it. I didn't love it. I felt feel like my life would have been nonetheless rich for not having read it. But um, oh. <laughs> it was it was still a vaguely enjoyable experience. Uh, it could have been cut to half its length, but that's Dickens for you. I'm hoping um, it will be republished with vaguely enjoyable experience but on the front. That <laughs> 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 really is damning with faint praise. Uh, um, but it was, you know, it was all right. It's better than some Dickens novels I've read. Um, and I'm not a Dickens fan, and I will put that as a caveat. I know there's probably lots of people shaking their fists at me, um, <laughs> but it's just not my thing. But I'm uh, currently reading for my course as well, Reuben Sachs by Amy Levy, which is a Persephone book. Yeah, what are you thinking of it? Um, well, I'm not too 
far into it. It's different to what I expected. It's very, um, I want to say catty, but it's, it's kind of not catty, but it kind of is at the same time. It's very, um, yeah, very interesting. You can kind of feel the anger through the pages. I like that. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I read it in about 2003 or 2004, um, entirely, I think, whilst doing a shift in a secondhand bookshop because there weren't very many customers. But, <laughs> uh, um, and I don't remember a single detail of the plot, except that I didn't like the book very much. <laughs> so. yeah, it's, it's really not, I thought, really not what I, I expected, because also it's quite a thin book. Mm. And I expected it to be, you know, because when we think of Victorian women's novels, I don't know why, but I always expect them to be quite junky. So I was like, oh, I don't really know how much is going to be said here, but um, it could be interesting. Yeah, feedback when you've read more. I shall do. <laughs> Well, I'm reading um, for my book group, My Brilliant Friend by Ellen Ferrente. I can't remember oh, if I mentioned that last time. Oh, I've about those books, yeah. Yeah, everyone loves them. There's four of them. Um, and so many people I know either um, through you know, blogging or in real life have raved about them. Mm. Um, and I guess, I mean, I'm enjoying it, but not more than I'm, I enjoy most of the books I read. I just, I just can't see quite what the fuss is about. And I... And partly that might be because reading about childhood in, in novels doesn't interest me as much as reading about adulthood in novels, I guess. So I, I may enjoy others in the series more. Mm. Um, because it's about female friendship, which I, you know, is a, really interesting to read about. Um, more, I find that more interesting to read about than, you know, a, a romance novel or something. But I don't know, it's also quite violent. It's set in like, you know, working class Italy of some period <laughs> in the past <laughs> where, you know, people are forever avenging turf wars and stuff. Um, and I don't love that. I no. Don't I don't know. It's just, I mean, the writing's good. It's interesting enough. But it just, for me, it was definitely going to fall in sort of just the mediocrity part at the moment. But there's still 100 pages left, so who knows? It could surprise you at the end. It could surprise me. And then I might try the second one at some point, but I can't see myself racing towards it. No. Well, that's a shame. So the thing is, I do find that when people rave and rave and rave about a book and you have such high expectations and then you get to it and you think, mm, it's not that brilliant. And I always feel like those sorts of books should be life-changing. And they never are. Yeah, and I feel like I must be missing something. But then my friend Lean tweeted today that she just finished it and that she hadn't loved it either. So I thought, okay, it's not just me. But, okay. But uh, there are so many people who do love it that, you know, don't let me put you off if you were thinking of trying it, Rachel, um, or anyone listening. Okay. And, um, in fact, you must read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just think I've read other books that do that sort of thing in a way I find more interesting, perhaps. Interesting. Oh, well. Well, that's all that. <laughs> um, so let me try and think of a pithier way to describe what the first half of this <laughs> I'm not sure I can. Um, it came back because I was thinking people quite often say to me, oh, has your dad read this book? It's about a vicar, because my dad's a vicar. And I think, do people generally want to read books featuring people who do their job? Um, or is, is this just something that people assume with vicars in the way that they assume that the children of vicars want to be vicars, but don't assume that the children of accountants want to be accountants? <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you sense <laughs> my frustration from years of like, are you going to do what your dad's going to do? Uh, no, are you going to do what your dad's going to do? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, what I had not factored in was that I, I would be leaving one job and starting another one when this topic came up, because I finished my job yeah. on Friday and starting a job 
tomorrow and by the time this goes live i won't be in that job but i've yet to read that job's social media policy so i won't say what it is in case i'm not supposed to (laughs) (laughs) sounds very mysterious doesn't it i'm not going to be a spy it's very it's very prosaic what i'll be doing (laughs) (laughs) um but rachel when when i suggested to see what 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 were the first things that came to your mind well um there's quite a few books i think that have teachers as their central character um and books that seem to be quite well liked so for example I mean, the most obvious example I could think of was The Prime of Miss Jean Brady and that's because we discussed mm. Muriel Spark just a couple of episodes ago um, and everyone's favourite childhood classic Matilda of course yeah and there's also the book that everyone was talking about a few years ago which obviously I haven't read it's sitting on my shelf called Stoner which is about an English professor in an American university um, and I think New York Review of Books Classics brought it back and I think Vintage have published it in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's all about this guy who literally just goes to university, loves it so much and decides just to basically stay forever. Um, and I think he dies in post and it's all about his his life and the mundanity of it, but kind of how he enjoys that. And I haven't read it all, so I've been starting it and, and not being able to carry on. So I thought, oh, this could be one of those really desperately sad books that makes me think about my own life in unflattering ways and then makes me <laughs> sad and then I can't read on. Um, but I can't really think of any other books that are about teaching or about the kind of craft of teaching other than books that are designed for teachers to read to better their practice. And I feel like there should be more books about teachers. Maybe there are, and I just don't know about them. Mm, I hadn't thought about this, but, um, but Goodbye Mr Chips comes to mind, but I haven't read that, so I don't really, yes. know, I don't really know what happens. <laughs> um, it, it does seem to be one of those careers that uh, um, is often put in a, in a novel, um, either like, maybe not as the focus, but, you know, someone will just be a teacher because that's a job everyone knows about. Perhaps. Yeah. But do they, Simon? Do well, they? I'm sure they don't know the, the yeah, inner depths of it, Everyone for sure. thinks they know what teachers are like. This is what makes me um, kind of... Uh, when you read about, oh, no, you know, you've also got like the Mallory Towers books, and ch- lots of children's books have teachers in, hmm. and they're always painted in this really sort of rosy light, and they always seem to have time to do loads of stuff. Um, they're never actually teaching, hmm. um, I find. Hmm. So it's and, more like the children's perspective of the teacher, I guess, with yeah. a lot of that around and maybe fewer from the teacher's perspective. Yeah, and that's probably because teachers don't have time to write books. <laughs> probably is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, so the job I've just finished doing was marketing dictionaries. I don't think I've ever read a book about marketing <laughs> dictionaries. <laughs> um, or even really a job about marketing, being in marketing, which even to s- someone me who is just who just been in that job and loved it sounds very dull just the word marketing is mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds very boring but um and there's parts of it i'm sure are but content marketing makes you do blogs and stuff great fun i guess partly that's because th- that sort of job particularly my sort of you know where it's about content marketing online that has only existed for you know 10 20 years maximum um you're not going to get any classics about it um i think just it's just sort of an office job that you might give a character if you wanted to acknowledge that they had a job but didn't really want to see them there. <laughs> yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of those jobs in offices that are fairly, I suppose, new jobs we'd refer to them to, stuff to do with the internet and technology, um, you probably find them quite a lot in chiclet or light books like that, perhaps. Um, mm. But you're not really going to get them in a in classic 
fiction. When I think about jobs in books, certainly from 19th century and early 20th century, there's lots of secretaries and lots of clerks. Um, and there are also teachers. I mean, Dickens writes a lot about teachers, actually. There's teachers in Dombey and Son. There's teachers in Hard Times, obviously. Oh, Nicholas Nickleby, yeah. Nicholas Nickleby. I mean, there's loads of teachers who either are portrayed in a very black and white terrible terms you know they're the type who hit kids with canes and are just generally evil people that have <laughs> gone into teaching to cause suffering to children um or they're very much idealized so you've got miss honey who's you know the most perfect wonderful person ever in matilda um and miss jean brady who in many ways is disturbing but at the same time there is a kind of glamour about her Definitely you know, she's glamour, set yeah. apart um Whereas I feel like office jobs, it's like someone in a, in fiction, if they've got an office job, um, you know, teachers, I think teachers, they're, they're there as kind of, um, their job reflects their personality and reveals something about them as a character. Whereas people who work in offices, it tends to just be, they just do a boring job. Do you know what I mean? That's like. Yeah, that's I think basically because like certain, most classes only have one teacher, so it is this sense of that they are. Dominating, whether positively or negatively, that space. Whereas mm. it, it, the idea of a character who works in office is there, that's like an automaton. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, I suspect that's probably not true of novels set in offices. If 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 everything's about the office, but the only one I can think of, which I haven't read, um, is Joshua Ferris wrote something. Mm, does that name mean anything to you? Yes. No, I know the book you mean. Yeah, we have come to an end, or. Somewhere towards the end, or, no, yeah, something so, yeah. like that. Someone yeah. at work recommended me to read that, but I, I never got around to it. Yeah, my friend Mel was reading it. Nice cover, but <laughs> I believe that's set in novels. Um, oh, Ted for isn't going out by Calvin Trillin. That's probably the nearest I could think to marketing, and that's definitely a pre-internet marketing day. Um, in that, well, it's, it's a really good book actually. Thomas at, um, blogs at Hogglestock and is on the Re- Readers Podcast gave it to me. Um, when we all met up in the British Museum, British oh. Library, British Museum, one of the two. Um, and it's mostly about Tepper parking and staying in his car, <laughs> but, um, but it's also his job is finding out or comparing lists of people or thing like, do people who prefer red apples to green apples also like skiing or something? That's mm. it's a bizarre list. Of, but it's, yeah, it's just interesting days of, marketing and contacting mailing lists and things based on the answers to surveys and trying to find similarities between them, which is a really interesting um, idea to give to a character. I that is really interesting. Sort of quirky and fun. And I, there's, I was just thinking as well, Far Cry from Kensington, the, the insight into the publishing world and the, mm-hmm. the pettiness of, of their day-to-day lives and everything in the office is, is quite well drawn. I think offices are great workplaces to write about in the sense that you can have all of the you don't necessarily focus on what they're doing for the job it's the social side of it and mm, the mm. the kind of ladder climbing and the gossip in the kitchen and um all that kind of hilarity that happens um yeah i think it must be a, obviously a more modern phenomenon i'd love to love read um letting listeners to give us any suggestions because i think it would be really interesting and yeah i just can't think of many i've read even um the one we did the other day, um, R.C. Sheriff, Greengates. Yes. Yeah, so we, we saw a bit of The Office, but only sort of yeah. on the way out. <laughs> of the yeah, office. and you know, he couldn't wait to get out. And actually, his description, I did wonder at the time whether 
I, I haven't checked the publication dates, but uh, London Belongs to Me by Norman Collins. The opening of that is incredibly similar to the opening to Green Gates. Mm. Um, incredibly similar where they both, where they're leaving and it's all down to the presentation of the carriage clock and everything. Um, so I'd be interested to know if there was any intertextuality there. But um, it's interesting that idea of somebody leaving the office behind and that sense of even though they've spent all their years there, it's something that leaving ceremony is very short and that insincerity, both of them have quite insincere bosses and they're just like, mm. yeah, see ya. Um, and you think, oh, you spent all your life in that office and you get nothing at the end really. And there's a lot of that in Victorian novels, especially with the idea of, um, and you can still see actually in some of the London banks in the city, if you look through the windows, the cubicles that they all would have sat at and that sense of them all being like machines. And you can just imagine arms going up and going down as they're stamping things and moving things in and out of drawers and writing things. And it is a world that is that was very much a place where you were reduced down to every a homogenous mass I suppose and you're doing the same tasks in and out of every day and that sense of freedom about retiring is something that comes up a lot in novels of like the 30s and 40s and I wonder if that reflects an attitude towards work that's that's changed it well not that hasn't really changed nowadays when we're writing about offices we focus very much on the on the hilarity of office gossip and you know people sleeping with each other water cooler gossip all that kind of thing um and but then it's more about the fact that people felt that they didn't matter. Yeah, they do seem to be in in novels maybe put as places to escape from. Yeah. They're, they're like set up before the action of the novel happens where they go and do something more interesting, whether that's retiring or set, launching out of some new venture. Yeah, work is, is shown to be a constraint, I find. I mean, often you don't, you don't often get in books a novel that's about about someone's job and that job is is the source of their enjoyment in life it's you know they do this job but this the, what's interesting about them is everything that happens outside of the job yeah i just have thought of one, one example of an office job that was quite i did find interesting was um faster faster by em delafield if you read that one i haven't but i should like to it's very good it's um i read it years and years ago but it's it's one of her, well, it's, it's very good, but perhaps not the most on message for feminism. And that is one of those ones about career women. Can they have it all? <laughs> um, no. Spoilers, she can't. <laughs> but, um, but it's, yeah, I think women taking up traditionally male roles in an office, in a business, was obviously quite new when she was writing. I think it's in the 1930s it was published as well, um, as the ones you mentioned. And so there it's not just what she's doing is more about can a woman be powerful in a business setting and how does that affect her home life, which at the time was obviously a huge question that is still discussed today, I hope not in the same terms, but um, but it, yeah, I think, again, it's not so much the job itself so much as the s- s- social issues around it, perhaps. Yeah, and I'm just trying to think, actually, I have read a couple of books where the job has been central and um, the best example I can think of is High Wages by Dorothy Whipple. Mm, yeah. And I absolutely loved how obsessed, I think, is her name Jenny, the main character, Jane? Oh, I can't remember. Something like that, Jane or Jenny. Um, and that job is everything to her, so much so that she rejects other opportunities that she could have had, you know, more traditional, like being able to get married or whatever, having children, to um, 
to focus on on having her shop because she loves it so much and you really see the ins and outs of of how to run a shop and the things you have to think about and you feel like Dorothy Ripple really understood that role rather than just idealizing you know oh this is what I think having a shop would be like <laughs> um, I think shopkeeping is is or being working in a shop that that does seem to attract a few novels I can think of because there's mm. um the homemaker which we talked yes. about in the previous episode um, and oh, the bookshop of Penelope Fitzgerald, um, which is a really good look at a woman's attempts to set up a bookshop in this quite um, alienating and unwelcoming uh, town that she moves to. That um, and so again, there's obviously it's not just the the day to day working of a shop because that would just be a you know manual. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the, the shop is semi central. I think there are more, maybe more books that focus on those sorts of either unusual jobs or jobs which provide a lot of opportunity for outsiders to come in, perhaps? Yeah, the more social element of, of, of being able to watch people, see life go by, or be at the centre of the community in some way. And that's um, why Vicar, perhaps, is a, is, is a good one. I mean, the picture yeah. of Wakefield, for example, is a really enjoyable work, and there's lots of opportunities for the Vicar to go all over the place, see all sorts of people. Yeah. And be this, that. Is the Vicar of Wakefield good? Because I always see it in charity shops and always think, oh, I ought to picked it up and I never know yeah I read it as part of my degree actually and I was surprised I think it was part of my degree um, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it um, because I didn't really know I, I just thought it might be a bit dull but um, I really like him as a character and I was surprised by how well, I don't know why I was surprised by the theology hadn't <laughs> changed that much because <laughs> why would it but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think perhaps because it came before the you know the Victorian um, idea of clergy it's um Maybe more, oddly more modern than a Victorian clergyman might feel. Is it 18th uh, century? Uh, either late 18th or early 19th, I think, like pre-Victorian 19th. Okay. Um, he says, <laughs> I'll cut this out if it turns out to be <laughs> slap in the middle of the Victorian, but I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> I, think, I think I read it for a course that... No, I, I've got the impression it's Regency or something like that. I'm just going to look it up rather than okay, just stuff up. Let's see. Um, and of course, thinking of clergy, there is, of course, the... Um, Manchester Towers series. Yeah, you know, I really need to read more Trollope because people keep talking about these Trollope novels and I've, I've literally read one book by him. Um, well, I hate to brag, but I have read two. So, <laughs> 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 um, I do intend to read Dr. Thorne at some point this, um, this year, which is the third in the series, having read the first two. Um, Vicar of Wakefield, 1766, earlier than I thought. Goodness. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, it's very, um, well, I find it really enjoyable. I recommend it. Okay, well, I'll pick it up next time I say, well, actually, no, I have yeah. to be careful about this because obviously we're on Project 24, so. Yes. How are you um, doing? Well, I did buy three books on Friday, but, oh, and right. then I was feeling very bad, and then I thought, no, wait, because these are books from my course, which we already agreed which I didn't you have to allowed. Read. That's true, yes. Fine, fine. I'm totally fine, I'm still at zero. Me too. Ah. Alright. And I've only had one dream about buying books, <laughs> so. Uh, I feel like this is kind of counterproductive, but I also am in the process of buying a new bookcase, which um, probably isn't going to bode well. But I do need more space for the books. And I thought, yeah, if I get rid of books, am I allowed to add the books I get rid of to the total? Ooh, well, you make your own rules, Rachel, but... That means no, doesn't it? I, I probably wouldn't do it myself, but you are, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you are your own woman. <laughs> also, I love the idea of the process of buying a bookshop, bookcase. I mean, how... how drawn out is this process well i have to pick the right one are you having it drawn up in italy or something i'm having it designed just for me no i'm i'm um i'm on ebay but you know i'm waiting to see whether i win it or not 
Oh, I see, I see. And I like using the word win because then I can pretend that I don't actually have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, but well, it also feels like the most most successful raffle in the world. Yeah, despite okay, the fact I that... won. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. But, you know, I'm always, every time, somebody always sweeps in at the last minute and gets it from under my nose. Curses. Which is I, know, I hate these people. <laughs> I know I do it to other people, so I really shouldn't say that, but... Yeah. I'm, I'm still winning at the moment. I've got two hours to go. All right. Well, I can see how you'll be spending your evening. On <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> tenter. <laughs> well, by the time this episode goes live, it will. The, yes, the bookcase will be won at all last to misquote Macbeth. But, um, yes. Uh, if, if I win it, then I will put a picture up on Twitter forthwith. Oh, lovely. Mm. Um. <laughs> um so, um, to sort of tail back to the original question, yes, not, not, not to end the um, conversation yet, but I was thinking um, whether or not we want to read these books. Mm-hmm. I'm quite happy to read a book about marketing now, but when I was a student, when I was a doctoral student, I avoided like the plague any book about being a student or set in university, partly because I was, I mostly, yeah, I just felt so much guilt when I wasn't doing my <laughs> thesis writing, <laughs> <laughs> or just guilt about was I doing it right, was was I intelligent enough to be there, was I, you know, a fraud, um, that I just couldn't read those sorts of books, um, it would just give, send me into a panic, so, yeah, basically I didn't read anything set in university for four or five years, <laughs> um, not that I can think of all that many, but it's things like The Secret History by Donna Tartt, and... Yeah, it's like, the only one I can think of. Well, the campus novel is supposed to be this big classic thing, isn't it? But I think I've probably only read two or three, possibly oh. because of that avoidance. Um, I remember I read Hearts and Minds by Rosie Thornton, and she um, she emailed me about it, review copy, I think, saying, if you've read all these male campus novels, here's the, the female campus novel. At that point, I, th- I thought, don't think I'd read any novels set in the campus. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mm, it's a little bit hardy for me. Um, I've read, I've read a few since the Sandcastle, Iris Murdoch is, is that one, and, or the Stone, Stoner, I guess, I've got on my shelves to read. Um, Willa Cather wrote one, The Professor's House, I think, so yeah, there's a few dotted um, around, aren't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. And now I'd be quite enjoy reading them, but at that time I, I could not. But do you, do you feel when you're reading about teachers that, do you, can you just read it like it's any other novel, um, or do you feel, you know, protective of it, or interested to see what other people make of it, or any combination of these things? Yeah, I find it interesting to read people's perceptions of teachers and I find, um, sometimes I find it quite inspiring because, you know, some days you feel feel like you don't really do much in your job or you feel like you've had a rubbish day or whatever and you can read a book about a teacher and they say really inspiring things and you're like, actually, yeah, you know what, I am doing something good. I am great. I'm amazing. Um, (laughs) And it's also interesting, I think, from a historical perspective as well to read books that are set earlier on in time and to see what people thought about teachers then um, and what mm. people thought teachers' role was and things. Um, I wouldn't say I actively seek out books about teachers, but I, I quite like it when a teacher turns up in a text. It's quite fun. Yeah. I've just remembered, actually, I read a really good book about teachers it, when I lived in America. It's a Dorothy Canfield book. I'm just going to try and remember the name. It's going to come from the recesses of my mind. I think <laughs> it's called Season Timber. That's one of hers, yes. Yeah, and it was a really, really enjoyable book about a boarding school, and I really enjoyed that. Hmm. Um, uh, and those sorts of books are great, I think. They're really lovely. That um, They're kind of affirming that I made the right career choice. Oh, but it's like nice. um, Miss Jean Brody. I like that a lot, but at the same time, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Um, what do you, what's the oddest job that you've come across in a book? Hmm. Well, let me think. Have you got an answer while I'm thinking? I have, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, you can, right you can do one. Mostly because I think we did this at my book group. We always have like a secondary topic um, to talk about. I've heard this one forward once. Um, because I, I, it was um, Edward Carey's book, Observatory Mansions, which the main character is one of those living statues. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is, yeah. I imagine him walking down the street seeing one thinking, I wonder what's going on there. It's a really interesting book. In fact, I really like his novels. He only wrote two and then he started writing teenage books, I think. Oh. But, um, the other one is even better, Alva and Irva, about... Sorry, I'm going to derail this completely, but I think it's really good. But it's, um, <laughs> they're, they're about... It's twins. Um, one of them is agoraphobic. And ah. the other one goes round the city memorizing it telling her about it so she can build a replica of it in plasticine um and the twin who goes out also tattoos a map of the entire world on her body so it's a really interesting um slight, very quirky um slightly dark book but i definitely recommend it who was this writer again edward carey edward carey i don't know them yeah, he's just written some trilogy that i've not read um that i think is aimed at teenagers but um those two wow. adult novels i found really interesting um yeah. Have you, has my rambling given you time to think of um, an unusual, unusual career? Well, no, I'm just trying to... I mean, I know I've come across things like this before, but I can't think off the top of my head. There's certainly jobs that I think are a bit um, strange in jobs, but I can't think of... Um, I mean, I've, I've read books of people who are circus performers and things, but mm. not... Um, no, I can't think of anything like particularly unusual not to that level it was a mean thing to throw in throw yeah <laughs> I must have read something interesting but no <laughs> I'll tell you what I would really like to read a book about um like a street sweeper or something hmm. I have actually oh. <laughs> funny to see that um Mark Raj Annan's Untouchables or Untouchable um which is about Casts in India. Oh, how interesting! Um, and yeah, it's from the perspective of a guy from the Untouchable cast who was a street sweeper. Mm. Um, written in 1910, I think. So obviously, very much. Well, it's yeah, a, a very, very caste-bound society. Um, was, yeah, really interesting. There you go. Give me more. Give me more. I'll think of a job, for, a novel for every career. <laughs> <laughs> or a taxi driver. <laughs> I'm immediately out. I can't think of any of my taxi that, drivers. That would be really interesting to read a book about a taxi driver because they must see a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Or a bus driver. I feel like I have read a book about a bus conductor, but I can't think what it might be. Hmm. Send us suggestions, people. Please do. It'll be like buses. <laughs> You'll have none for ages. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, we're moving on time, aren't we? So I will just say, uh, go back to the original question. If If you see a book has your job in it, does that make you more or less likely to read it? Um, it wouldn't make me less likely, so I'd say more likely. Cool. What about um, you? Um, and now, yeah, I think, so, yeah, slightly more. In the past with the student thing, definitely less. Now I think happy to read it, see what people make of it, but no one does. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, uh, if there is a book out there about dictionaries marketing, guys, please, I want to know about it. It would be brilliant. I've got the whole, my whole my whole period of being a librarian. There's loads of books about them, and they used to really annoy me because they were always stereotypes of like old <laughs> ladies shushing people. But we've got enough. I'll leave that. We'll pop that one back in the in the attic it came from. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. Um, cool. So 
for the second half, we were going to talk about Ian McEwan, um, and specifically on Chesapeake Beach and Atonement. Um, are you happy to give an intro to either of those, Rachel? Yes, I can, <laughs> well, I could do both. So which one do you feel more confident doing? I guess Atonement. We should, should say now, listeners, that um, I realised, and I think perhaps Rachel realised as we started, that we don't remember that much about these books, <laughs> but we'll muddle through. As we always do. <laughs> as we always do. So I'll give a really brief introduction to Atonement, which I think luckily is probably also the more famous of the two. Um, so it's a much longer book than On Chessel Beach, and it's um, about... It starts off in this house party where a young girl called Bryony is observing her sister and her um, and the family friends um, she's getting quite upset about her sister's relationship with another guy um, whose name I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought I was doing really well with the name Bryony I'm just going to take up a ten minute on my phone so I get some more proper names oh, Cecilia is her sister and Robbie is the guy that she's seeing yes. um, at one point she witnesses another woman um, in the dark who she thinks um, her cousin Lola who is apparently being raped um, and she accuses Robbie of this rape. The rest of the novel sort of looks at the damage that this false accusation has on the whole family um, and the ways in which Bryony tries to make atonement for this. Um, mm. And it's all set against the back... Well, it starts off in the Edwardian period, I think. No, that's wrong. It starts off, must be between the World Wars and then goes into the Second World War. Yes, it does, yeah. That's right. Um... And, yeah, that'll do for now. We'll talk about that more in a second. But um, <laughs> intro to On Chesil Beach, please. On Chesil Beach is set in the 1960s, the early 60s, and it's about two young, a young couple called Edward and Florence um, who are getting married, and they've just got married, and the novel's set during their honeymoon. And they're both kind of quite traditional. When you think of the 60s, you think swinging 60s. These two aren't like that at all. They've been brought up in quite traditional homes and sex. They haven't had sex. So um, this is a whole new experience for them. And during this, it's a very short book. It's really a novella, I would say. Mm. Um, just over 100 pages, I think. And it's all about how during their honeymoon, basically their relationship unravels because they cannot really communicate with one another and they have a disastrous experience and it all just goes wrong um so i won't say too much because we'll talk about it in a minute by the way just i uh, suppose we should say we're going to have to ruin the plots of both books to talk about them aren't we i think we probably will yes. yeah so if you haven't read them and don't want to know then probably stop listening yeah i i mean you might want to stop listening anyway because <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to say anything interesting yeah. <laughs> Um, before we look at them more depth, um, what's your experience with McEwen more more broadly? Which ones have you read? What did you read first? All that sort of thing. Well, um, I've read a few. I just the thing is, I find his books really disturbing. Often, um, you know, when you just think, I don't, I'm not sure, I like the way this person thinks. Hmm. And that's always how I feel about him. And I feel like it's a really damning thing to say about somebody. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know him personally. But um, I read one of the first books of his I read was Atonement. I think the first book of his I read was Atonement. So that came out when I was about 14 and my mum had it. So I read it. Um, and then I was working in the library over the summer and I picked up another couple of his books. And one of them was The Cement Garden, which one of, is one of his early books. And it's incredibly disturbing. Mm. Uh, have you read it no i've not read that one yeah, yeah so basically it's about um 
these children whose mother dies and they don't know what to do and so they just leave her body in the house and carry oh. it normally wow. yes yeah i mean and i was like 15 at the time so i was a bit like whoa what am i reading and <laughs> um, um, this man is weird and this is not like atonement i was kind of <laughs> expecting the same thing um and since then i've read um on chisel beach i've read enduring love and I don't know, you know, I can't dispute the fact that he writes well, but mm. there's a lack of something in his books. I feel like there's no heart. Does that make sense? That's interesting, yeah. Um, so I, my first one was also Atonement. My godmother, um, Helen, gave it to me when I was probably 17, 18, I guess. Um, and shortly after that, I read Enduring Love, um, and really, really liked the opening chapter and thought the rest of it wasn't that interesting. So the hot Evelyn crash at the beginning yeah. was really vividly and brilliantly written, and then it all sort of tailed off. Um, I've read Chesapeake, I've read uh, Black Dogs, one of his early ones that I really liked, that's sort of a depiction, again, like on Chesapeake, of this couple. It's got more of their background and their history, but um, this, this climactic moment where they are almost attacked by two dogs, or several dogs, perhaps, um, and like how that defines their relationship before and after, really. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I read Saturday, and that's the one that I think I like least of his. I find it really annoying. Thinking about talking about jobs, actually, it's the main character's a neurosurgeon. It just seems such a like I needed a character who's intelligent neurosurgeon. <laughs> You'll do. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's it's all set in one day, which. I feel like it's a technique should only really be used if it's a normal day, because that's, like, if it's, like, Mrs. Dalloway or even Ulysses or something, it's, it's supposed to encapsulate a life in a day, whereas this one has, like, a terrorist kidnapping and stuff. It's like, that's yeah. not a day-to-day -day occurrence. <laughs> um, I found that one. Yeah. His writing, again, good, but just his plotting and his character and all that sort of thing quite annoying. And I think I've, yeah, I think those are the only, I think I must have read, yeah, five, and then sort of came to a halt after on Chesil Beach, um, being vaguely interested in reading other ones. I heard him talk the other day, actually, about Nutshell. Is it Nutshell, his latest one? Oh, yes, yeah. A retelling of Hamlet from the perspective of a fetus. Yeah, <laughs> sure. which I just, was just, I saw the description of that and thought, really? Um, bit, yeah, I can't even begin to imagine how that pans out. No, perhaps it's brilliant, but... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but the tone of my voice says... It. <laughs> yes. Interpret as you will. Um, but I do remember being really impressed by Atonement. I think I hadn't read that many... Or hadn't really read that many modern novels, I guess, and it was still relatively modern. Um, and I do like novels... Where, and that's perhaps what separates Black Dogs and Atonement from the other ones I've read, where it is this one big moment affects the rest of a life. I find that really interesting. Um, and it's and, a beautifully written book. I mean, hmm. it is a fantastic and clever book, I think. Yeah. Um, I think what made me like it slightly less than I had done is, was reading another book by a different author, um, Virginia, by... Um, I'm going to mispronounce it, but it's something like Jens Christian Grondahl, or Jens Christian Grondahl, or something like that. Um, and I can't nice. remember the, la the language it was originally written in, but um, obviously I read it in translation. And that's a much shorter book, and it's again about regret. It's about um, a boy who accidentally gives the whereabouts of a of a Jewish woman to a Nazi soldier he sees, um, and him trying to deal with that for the rest of his life. 
So it's quite similar in a way in that, you know, it's a child doing something that they don't quite understand at the time, mm. causing devastation in the lives of people around them and them coming to terms with it. And Virginia was much more compact and, and I thought on reflection possibly better than Atonement and doing something quite similar. Um, it's interesting when you come across something like that, isn't it? You think, oh, this book's great. And you're like, oh, actually, wait, this one is yeah. similar, similar and better. <laughs> um, what did you think of Atonement when you read it? I was quite blown away by it. I mean, I was quite young when I read it and I just, I was really surprised by the ending and I thought that was, you know, really quite shocking and clever the way he did that. Um, Let's talk about the ending. Okay. So, you know, when you think that that her sister is fine and everything's fine and then you see that ending bit where she dies in the tube station, it's Bethnal Mm. Green, I think, isn't it? Um, And... It, because it floods during a like blitz attack, a bombing, yeah, yeah, a bombing, um, and so she dies in there, and she's written up to that point, you know, everything's fine, it all worked out, and actually she's just made up that story, and then you reveal at the end that actually it's pretty much thanks to her that all of this awful stuff happened, and um, her sister never got to have the life that she wanted, and you, it's just kind of, I just found it really moving that she'd carried that with her her whole life and she tried to to make up a different story in order to make it okay and she couldn't and I just and I was completely convinced by her version of events and that was I think that was the first time I'd really read a an unreliable narrator story and been hoodwinked by it and I just yeah I thought it was really clever and the thing is with something like that it's kind of like those uh, M. Night Shyamalan films. Mm-hmm. Once you've read it, read it or watched it once, you can't see it again because you know what's going to happen. Yeah, so it's this sort of curious epilogue, isn't it, where she basically just says, so it's the adult Bryony, or very old Bryony, saying, I've, I've told this story, um, and you, you're then assuming that the rest of the book is written, as a novel written by her, and she's saying that, but that's not actually what happened. Yeah. Um which I, I agree with you. It's, a, it's, a, it's this great twist, but I think maybe slightly cheap twist. I don't know. I feel like the it's weird to have the, the rugs up under you about the the ficti- fictive status of something that you're reading as fiction. Yeah. Um, I f- I feel like uh, yeah. I, I, get, I get as a viewer, I find it really affecting at the time, but perhaps it's not the subtlest or cleverest of ways to do an unreliable narrator because why would we disbelieve her? We're not getting any clues up to that point. We're just getting, no. oh, what you read before wasn't true afterwards. Which I find, I don't know, I, I find like maybe there's some unreliable narrator books that they drop the clues throughout and they weave it and you're gradually... Uh, Coming to the um, realisation. Yeah, yeah, like A Kind of Intimacy by Jen Ashworth or Wish I Safe at Home by Stephen Venter are two really good examples of how it's through the prose style and it's through balancing the perspective of the narrator with the reader realising that it's not the case. Whereas this one, it only really comes in the epilogue, does it? it if, maybe I'm misremembering. Do, are there more clues beforehand, do you think? I can't remember in detail enough. I mean, I think probably if I read it again, I might be able to spot, but I, I don't think he constructed it in that way. I think it is supposed to come as a complete shock at the end. Um, and I think that's the thing with Ian McEwan is that he's not a subtle writer. And the lacking the subtlety is what, you know, it is very much a, an issue-led writer and someone who wants to make a point um, in his books. And I think in doing that, he doesn't, he's not trying to lead you gently to, to working things out for yourself. He's more of a show st- showpiece writer, I think. 
and he's a bit too clever for his own good sometimes i think I think he can be very subtle in the way he shows people's emotional reactions to things, mm. perhaps on the level of plot, not. Maybe that's how I would look at it. Because something like looking at Edward and, Flo- is it Edward? Edward and Florence yeah. um, in Ontessa Beach, I think it's re- quite beautiful the way he talks about um, their what they're saying what they're th- and what they're repressing, what they're thinking, how... how because you're seeing their, their differing thoughts about how this honeymoon will go, you can sort of see... The, the climax coming. That's not, <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but maybe a bit more heavy handed. I, I remember what you're saying in the intro about it, them not feeling very 1960s. I was looking back over the review I wrote of the book on my blog, quite a brief one, but, um, it did feel a lot more 1910s than 1960s. Yeah, this the is, attitudes. This, yeah. yeah, this is the essential issue I had with the book. And it's interesting that what you say there about how you feel that he's a good at writing characters, because I just felt that he wasn't in that book. Um, okay. Because his characters aren't true to the time. I just thought you cannot yeah. write people who are basically like, if you want to write this book, set it during the Victorian times, because this is not appropriate. I do not believe that people in the 1960s would have been that naive. I really do not believe that. And I do wonder, I was looking, I wrote this in the review, I said, again, um, whether he just was like, I need it to be 20th century, I need Edward not to have gone to war or have had the possibility of going to war, so it's going to have yeah. to be the 60s. Yeah, like, um, I don't want to have to deal with trauma of this kind. I'm just going to, yeah. And it is, it felt to me very, very unrealistic. And that's why I didn't enjoy the book because I just couldn't believe it at all. And, I mean, you look at things like Mary Stopes and people like her writing in the 1910s and 1920s, um, the the idea that Florence would be that naive and that... It's not even puritanical, it's more like a sort of an animalistic horror yeah. at sex that um, just seems, yeah, so out of place for... Not, I mean, you don't have to be in the middle of the swinging 60s to know yeah. about sex in I the just, 60s. I just yeah. found it faintly ridiculous. It's like, you do know what happens, don't you? Like, seriously, everybody knows this. It's like, even Victorian women would have known that something was going to happen. They might not have known the details, but, you know, it wouldn't have been a complete shock to them. It's like, what do you, how do you think you're going to have a baby? You know, for goodness sake. I just thought it <laughs> Please was, have together. I, I mean, I just thought it was ridiculous. And because of that, I couldn't get myself into the book at all because every time they had a conversation or had a thought process, I just thought, no, nobody, no, I can't believe this. I can't believe you would think okay. this. And it yeah. just frustrated me, no end. I think I just had, yeah, I did manage to suspend disbelief with, with the setting and just sort of pretended that, you know, the mores were, were those that were described, perhaps. Um, well, you mentioned, you mentioned the length of the novel or novella earlier. That was interesting. I remember at the time when it was published, which was 2010, maybe? So, mm. No, earlier than that, actually. No, 2000, earlier 2000, than that. 2007, 2006. Um, that he described it as a novelette, I think, or a novella. Oh, he which, would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it became important because the book um, doesn't allow novellas onto its um, shortlist, and this was a big, big controversy at the time. It still made it onto the onto the onto the shortlist or the longlist or something, despite that. Um, and there did seem a time when anything he wrote made it onto mm-hmm. the book list. And between... mm. He was a real darling yeah. for a while. I, I feel like that's a bit on the wane now. I think so, because like, I, I don't think Solar or that spy one what was it called Sugar something through Sugar no. Sweet Sweet Tooth 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 yeah, yeah Sweet Tooth that's it. Yeah, I don't think that either those made quite the splash that he was hoping for. Perhaps no, I, I think he's a little bit too. Um, 
Like, he's a bit heavy-handed in the sense that, you know, like on Chesil Beach, oh, I'm going to set it on the beach where you collect fossils, and that will be some kind of metaphor about, you know, thinking, old-fashioned thinking and stuff. And it's just like, you know, come on, do us a favor. <laughs> I mean, just write something that's realistic with good characters, because he can do that. Um, and he just seems to... Everything he writes seems just has something about it that I feel like I just can't believe it. Yeah, that's interesting. I Have think, you read Enduring Love? Uh, yeah, so that's, as I say, like, um, really love the first chapter, and then after that, it's all about, yeah, once it gets about, like, a stalker and stuff. I mean, it's not believable, is it? Yeah. Because I, th- I think we, maybe I have moments where I like him more than you do, but where, where I think it's, it is in those set pieces like The Balloon Crash or in, like, um, big emotional moments. I think he can do it um and and can be really affecting and i think I come back to black dogs again i find that one really affecting but um maybe it maybe it is when he's trying to be too grand or trying to have too many ideas which i mean lord only knows what that means for nutshell <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and i just don't think he can ever do comedy uh i didn't read solo which is supposedly his funny book but when he tries to do funny i just find that very awkward <laughs> but, um but yeah, on the whole, I find the ones I have read, I either, you know, like Saturday, I find them quite frustrating, or I find that they could have been better, and, I, and there's something that's just eluding, eluding me, or eluding him. Yeah, it's the kind of, you know, like, there are elements of enduring love that are fascinating, and one thing I have to give him kudos for, you know, he has fantastic ideas, you know, he's very original, his books, the concepts behind them, um, but I think sometimes, the way in which he writes characters or the way characters react to things or the way characters think about things. I just think I can't, I can't believe that somebody in that situation would behave in that way. Or he sometimes sets characters up and you think, right, okay, they're like this. I get it. I get it. That's fine. That's just who they are. But then they behave in ways that are completely against what he set them up to do. And be so you like. seem to be coming to this maybe from slightly opposite angles because I quite like sometimes the character and I find the ideas a bit annoying, whereas you seem to be the, other way around. Yeah, no, I, I find the characters with with me are his. I think that's the problem because I just don't feel that. I love his settings. I love the concept of the plot. I don't think he's bad at plotting. I think all that bit's fine. It's the characters for me that are the problem. Did you find that with Bryony as well? No, the thing is, I actually think Atonement is a great book, and mm. I think maybe. Because I read that the first and I found it wonderful, everything else he's written I've been a bit disappointed by. Okay. Because it's, it's Amsterdam that won the book, and I, I don't think neither of us have read that, have we? No, I haven't. So, be interested. I don't even know what that one's about, actually, other than one assumes Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so it'd be interesting to read that. I think, yeah, I don't know, it's just one of those, even the ones I have enjoyed, I just feel put off by him in general. But. Maybe because I get that sense that he's thrust forward as like our big literary giant, mm. um, and I do feel like you want to not like yeah. him, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a, it's also sort of a brand that he, he or his publicist or whoever have built up. Like he is Ian McEwan, Sir Ian McEwan. I mean, he's not Sir, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he probably will be one day. I'm sure he will be, and I'm, I think probably there's a strong chance that in 50 years' time or more he'll be remembered as one of the literary fiction names of our time, which. You know, I don't know how I feel about that, but um, hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's the thing is, he's a good writer. He is a good writer. And I think sometimes, though, there are people whose writing is great, but they just don't connect with you. And um, I think, unfortunately, that's just how it is with, with me. I just don't feel that I've ever really... I don't feel... You know, sometimes you read a book or a writer and you feel that there is a connection between you and them. You like the way they write. You like the messages that are being woven through the book. You feel like you're reading something that that touches you or speaks to you in some way, and I've never felt that way with his books. That's a shame, yeah. And, and yeah, sometimes there just isn't... I feel a bit cold, like, you know? Yeah. Um, what was, I'm sure there's something I talked about here a while ago where I felt the same way, and now I can't remember it. But, um, where, you, yeah, it, it is that personal thing where you just think even if even for me where he's writing often about you know white men in oxford i still have that slight disjoint perhaps perhaps because maybe it's because every character it feels like an ian McEwan character it's like here is someone as seen through the eyes of ian McEwan rather than just here's someone perhaps if that makes sense yeah um, i think you, you know, never quite lose the sense that it's ian McEwan writing this um, except, I think, with perhaps with sections of atonement, where I feel like Bryony does really stand on her own. I wonder why this is atonement is different. Is it his only historical novel? Well, on Chester Beach, I guess it's a historical novel of sorts. I mean, it's not that far back, but um, no. I'm trying to think. Yeah, the other other ones. Well, I think no further back than maybe the 70s or 80s. The other one. Did you watch the film of Atonement? I did. I enjoyed it very much. Hmm, me too. Yeah, um, mostly for the costumes, I think. <laughs> yeah, costumes are great. That that green dress, I mean, I really I want know, that. everyone remembers the green dress, don't they? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> and it was Kira Knightley's heyday. <laughs> it was, bless her. What's happened to her? <laughs> she's stuck in Pirates of the Caribbean loop forever now. Well, oh, yeah. And, you know, she's recently been in a film with Will Smith, which is always a death knell to one's oh, career. Gosh. <laughs> yes, that looks so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I watched him talking on Graham Norton. He was obviously politely trying to pretend it wasn't the worst one we'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the trailer and just thought, no, Will Smith, why? <laughs> but, um, uh, no, you know, I think, um, and the thing is with Atonement as well, it is a very, um, it's a very filmable book. It's a very, everyone's interested in the war. Everyone loves reading about the war. You can really do a lot with that. Whereas I think perhaps, I mean, you and I are both quite, vocal about the fact we don't massively love modern books Hmm. and i think (laughs) perhaps the fact that he's also quite a modern writer in that he does write very much about our times and our experiences of the last you know 20 30 years perhaps that's got something in it that we feel that disconnect because we don't necessarily naturally want to read about that yeah i think you're probably right um yeah um and i guess I, i feel in general about modern literature often it is issue driven about issues of our day whereas perhaps that was has also been true of books i have loved but because the issues are a bit different day i find that more interesting yeah because you know we're living it so we don't need to read about it that's how i feel yeah yeah um i'm surprised more of his books haven't been filmed actually because they do they are quite filmic Enduring Love's been filmed, isn't it? Yes, I saw that, but I think it remains possibly the only 18 I've ever seen. <laughs> so there you go. Was it an 18? It was because of, because of the moment at the end with... Um, oh, yes, of course. Yes. I saw, let's leave that one unspoiled. <laughs> but um, but um, yes, I, I I remember quite enjoying it. I don't remember much else. I think maybe I think maybe The Child in Time was filmed. Was that a short story? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. But you think that Saturday and on Chesil Beach... Um, 
would have been filmed by now. I don't know why not. Well, the thing is, I again, I think On Chesil Beach would have worked great if it was set in the 1880s or something. But um, I just think, you know, 1960s, it doesn't work, does it? Hmm. Such, I, I, would, I wonder if you said anything about the decision to set it then, because it would be interesting. I would. Um, Maybe we ought to look it up. Yeah. Ian, if you're listening, get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> sorry that we dissed you. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know, we're perfectly entitled to to not like. I mean, I am a hundred percent hands in the air. I'm sure I can't write as well as he does, but he just doesn't connect with me. And I mean, I've read five of his books despite not loving him, and I definitely, I mean, I still very happily read more I, because I think um, there's definitely enough that I like about him that I'm willing to keep hunting for. And as I, I keep saying, I, I love black dogs, so I think I'm happy to keep reading to see if I find one I like more. But I think I'm more likely to go to his older books than I am mm. to read the ones that are coming out now. Yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to explore further and also be proved wrong. And, you know, the fact that I really did enjoy Atonement, very much so, and can still remember it, um, shows it isn't a fantastic book and a real achievement. And it's just, I think, maybe when you read that the first time you read an, a novelist and you really get uh, moved and touched by a book and you really ex- you have that expectation for all their others, and then if you don't find that, then everything else is going to be a bit of a disappointment. I think I'm probably start. I started, I went in too high. Yeah, yeah. So everyone start with Saturday because it's not very good. <laughs> and then want to... <laughs> yeah, it's always the quench like, do I do I recommend the best so they've got nowhere to go or one that's not so good so they want to never read anymore? <laughs> uh, but I think it's quite clear from our decision so far that we, in the Teal Books decision we are both going to pick Atonement, yes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, well, there we go. We are in complete agreement today. That's uh-huh. always nice. Because um, it's nice that we're in agreement because, dear listener, Rachel will not be here for episode 33. I've unceremoniously booted her out. <laughs> <laughs> I've been dumped. You've been dumped. Um, I will say what we're doing in episode, well, what I'm doing in episode 33 in a second, but um, one of the reasons we're doing it now is because it gives us a month to um, read E.M. Delafield's Miss Selena of the Suburbs and F. Tennyson Jesse's um, A Pin to See the Peep Show, which you mentioned last time. Um, that we would think about reading because they both cover the same real life murder trial in fictionalized version, um, or at least situation around that murder. Um, so that's what we'll be doing in episode 34 in about a month's time, which I'm excited about. Yes. Because um, they're both books that have been on my shelf for a long, long time to read. But next time, it's a very special crossover episode with my brother Colin's movie podcast, which I can already imagine is going to be completely <laughs> shambolic. <laughs> but if you wanted to hear, Two twins with very different tastes squabbling about books and films. That's something to look forward to. Um, for the for the book half of it, we'll be doing the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, oh. So, um, specifically, uh, the Lion, the Witch, Wardrobe versus the Boys of the Dawn Treader. For the second half, we'll be doing the format that that Colin does in in his in his podcast, the C to Z of movies. Rachel, you can take comfort that Zija, um, his podcast co-host. Has also been asked to step aside for an absurdity. You want to get in touch with him and you know seek solace together, <laughs> or set up your own podcast. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> um, but yeah, I encourage you to go and listen to at least uh, you know one episode of Colin's podcast for if you want to know what's going on next time. Otherwise, I'm sure he will explain it beautifully when we record together. <laughs> um, I'm quite excited about that. But it'll be very nice to be back with you, Rachel, for episode 34. Thanks, Simon. Yeah. I'm glad it's not going to be a permanent change. <laughs> I'll be thinking of you the whole time. <laughs> I hope so. 
Right. Um, well, right yeah, yes, let us know all the things we've asked throughout. Let <laughs> and, us know your yes, thoughts. Yes, Spirited Defences being McEwen, very welcome. Yes. So, so yes, lovely to to um, have you all listening, and I'll see you in about well in about a month's time. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy Simon's magical podcast with his brother next week. <laughs> I'm so going to see you set up your own podcast. Just like, <laughs> what's this? <laughs> He's called it books or tea. <laughs> you don't know how to edit a podcast. I feel safe. I know. Don't have the skills. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.